good morning, everyone. Um, we are joined between uh, myself and Sushant today on this podcast, part of the discovery series at Course 5. Um, and today's topic is all around data literacy. Um, it's a topic that has accelerated in terms of um, uh, excitement to achieve, but also um, has had a few challenges along the way. So uh, today, the, the conversation is going to be about what we're observing in the marketplace. At the end of the day, we are an analytics and insights organization, so it comes part and parcel of our ecosystem and our universe. And then some of the learnings that we've seen, and then potentially some ways forward for, for you all to, to think about and, and take away. Um, Sushant Ajmani is joining me today. He's our product manager for the Discovery Platform. Uh, this is an augmented analytics solution that um, is finding great uh, interest and traction in two verticals of uh, CPG and technology. Um, and uh, let's kick off with the, the obvious questions, Sushant. So um, you and I have been in the ecosystem of data and BI and analytics for many years. And the reality is that after many investments, many programs, many tools, many solutions, people are still talking about the challenges of data literacy. Uh, what are your initial thoughts on that? Hey, Joseph, first of all, thanks for having me here. I think it's always a privilege to talk to you. So, uh, so Joseph, if I look at uh, the last 10 years, I think I'm uh, always curious to know how the industry is evolving year over year, especially the digital industry. And we both have spent more than a two decades here. So I remember when I was running my own venture for close to six years, and I was doing a lot of training programs for both Adobe and Google in Asia Pacific. And what I learned while running my venture was that a significant percentage of the training budget of large corporates was going into imparting technology skills within the workforce. Mm. A lot of investment in the last decade, starting from 2010 till 2018, 19, I've seen, has gone into getting the people trained on different types of technologies, whether it's around the cloud infrastructure, it's the analytics tools, the BI platforms, and as well as a lot of MarTech platforms. And what I've realized that so much effort has been put in place to make the workforce trained on so many new technologies. For some reasons, we have just lost the track. I, I think if we take a step back and think what exactly the organization's objective behind this, do they want the entire works to be, workforce to be technology literate, have their resumes filled with every possible technology tools in the market, or they want people to embrace the idea of how to collaborate with the peers, how to solve the problem as a whole, okay? Mm -hmm. How to create that close feedback loop when it comes to chasing any particular use case, okay? A good example is, I think we all are going through this pandemic right now, and there are so many macroeconomic factors which are impacting the organization. If you look at the oil prices, if you look at the interest rates, if you look at the housing uh, market right now, if you look at the overall consumer sentiments. Each and every macroeconomic factor is making a significant impact on the day-to-day -day operations of the organization. Now, how would you tell and teach your workforce that what to learn from that? Mm. How they can change their way of working? How they can take learning from this macroeconomic behavior and start thinking out of the box that what kind of levers they need to pull to get the value out of their day-to-day -day operations. So I feel last 10 years, the entire focus was on technology, technology investment, 
training the people on technology tools. The next 10 years are going to be completely different. Mm. So I think I'm curious to know your perspective, Joseph, what, what, what you are seeing in your world. I, I, I agree. When you look back and, and the trajectory that, you know, things like a pandemic creates, which is an accelerated decision-making environment. Um, I, I believe, like you, that what we're going to see in the next few years is a different set of behaviors. Um, I, I can't not talk about some of the things that we've seen, um, which is, for example, a huge amount of maturity in these tools, right? So we started off with the basics, then it became sort of the, the BI tools, then the intelligent BI tools, with it came all this fancy language of democratizing of data and data first culture and self-service BI and data as a new oil. And fundamentally, a lot of the vendors were driving all that language. A lot of the vendors were driving all that momentum, right? And as you say, there was not enough time being spent about the real value and the real motivation of what these things were. These are all enablers, but the reality is it is about that collaboration of solving problems with data at the heart of it. Whether it is an Excel spreadsheet or it is a very fancy tool, that is a bit secondary, right? The first thing is all about solving business problems and putting data at the middle of it. Um, there are some interesting stats with, uh, with people like Gartner and Forrester and so on. They still talk about very low adoption of these tools, very low penetration of these tools. And you know me, I try and keep things really simple. I, I still say that there's not enough time being invested in simple learning and simple learning of how to learn, right? Um, for example, when, when we are rolling out a program for our clients, the adoption curve starts before we deploy. The adoption curve starts way before we deploy. Why? Because we've learned that it takes time. We've learned that you need to manage expectations. You've got to go all the way to the goal and then slowly work backwards. You've got to manage um, the planning. You've got to set expectations in the right way. And all that starts way before you actually start building the thing, yet alone deploy, right? Not enough of that is going on in organizations. And so your point about bringing teams together for collaboration is, is, is a huge one. Um, I think it's also talking about the, the sea of activity that goes on in this place. Uh, when you think about a few tools and then a few ideas around self-service BI or more automated type of analytics and so on. But you apply that to all the sectors. So from pharma to retail to manufacturing, it's a vast, vast, vast sea of things, right? It's massive. And so it's become its own animal in some respects. It's become, you know, billion dollars of, of a moving space. But the data keeps telling us adoption is low. What, did, what was the statistic that you shared the other day from Gartner saying that penetration or adoption is still less than 40 percent less than 35 yes, percent exactly. yes less than 35 percent yeah and this is what after 25 years right and so i think the um, the, the the main crux of literacy of data and enablement of that adoption is to keep it really simple think about how people learn so spend time about you know how do people learn and then put a program together that gives them enough time to ramp up and be motivated by it, right? Um, yeah. Something that we do at Course 5, as you know, is these collaboration exercises where we bring people from different parts of the business, we put data in the middle, and the idea is after about a month, a month and a half, they've learned new behaviors, maybe with a, a tool in the middle of it, maybe with some analytics in the middle of it to, to support what we're talking about, but then together, we move forward about how we're going to help each other in a process, in a set of leading indicators, and then we move forward. So that is a good example of 
multiplying the adoption because you've got three teams working around one set of data, right? And they're together trying to move forward and trying to solve a problem, um, as opposed to delivering just campaign analytics um, dashboard, which is good, but it would appear that adoption is still not as high as we want it, right? Um, so while we are talking about you know, the last few years, which I think is for all to see, I don't know any organization that doesn't have some BI tools, some analytics, some bent on data and the need to do more. Um, you're in the middle of an amazing journey with discovery. Um, you're turning heads. You're exciting some very high logo organizations, market leading logos, both in the US and Europe. Um, I think it's worth talking about a bit more radical ideas here. So do you have any thoughts around radical thoughts, steps to try and move this forward, to try and break this impasse with adoption and trying to encourage that data literacy that has lots of room to grow. Do you have any thoughts on that? Sure, sure, Joseph. I think I'll take your one point that you mentioned, which was very interesting, uh, uh, which is about the, the thought of adoption in, in today's organization has still been very reactive. I think once the, the dashboards and the scorecards are published, then we think about adoption, but it has to be done. The thought should come quite early in the process. I think that's a very, very important point. And that's also a very important thing that we cover as a part of our deployment process when we go for discovery deployment for our organization. See, what happens is, uh, let me give you a good example. Let's say you are building a, a chief marketing officer dashboard, okay? You know that the chief marketing officer persona is a very strategic persona, okay? What he or she wants to see in the dashboard or scorecard is very different than a director of marketing or maybe a marketing analyst in the team. Similarly, if you're building something for a head of supply chain operations, or if you're building something for maybe a head of B2B marketing, all the personas are very different. So you cannot just focus on the metrics and dimensions when you build that particular scorecard or dashboard. And I've seen for many, many years that we always think bottom up. I think the entire, the entire focus is always on bottom up. And when you are thinking bottom up, you're only focusing on the tactical problems. You're not focusing on the strategic problems. And when you start looking from top down and you will look at from the eyes of a chief marketing officer or a head of supply chain operations, you will realize that the way they want to see the data is very different the way you want to publish it. Yeah. And that is the biggest disconnect. That is the biggest disconnect. And that's, that's the reason the adoption rates are very poor or lower because once your dashboards are published, mm. the first question that these people have, what do I do with this? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Or exactly. what action shall I take with this? Yeah. Okay. You're not telling me something which is, I was not aware of it. You are just validating some of the same facts, which I was already getting through my some other alternative sources. Yeah. Okay. So I think what we need right now is embracing and empathizing with these personas. I think we need to go from top down. We need yeah. to start carving out who these individual personas are and what are their day-to-day -day operational challenges? What are the use cases they are focusing on? And then try to think about your story yeah. because adoption is not your leading indicator. It's a lagging aspect. Yeah. And I think what we need is you need to look at the needs first strategic ex expectations first before you think about building a story. I think that's yeah. the most important. Thing. Yeah, yeah. It, you, you made me think about, again, keeping things simple. So um, leading indicators and how that pans out. So um, uh, my children, obviously, they, they go to school and uh, some of them are in primary school and others are in um, secondary school. And one thing I've learned is the, the, that, that 
approach and that concept of teaching people how to learn, right? Keeping it really simple, right? Um, and with primary schools, there's a lot of research that demonstrates that the more they read, the more likelihood they're going to get through primary school really well. So the, the factor of reading, and that is purely hours and books of reading, will have a much bigger chance of you coming through primary school in a rounded student with some good learnings and some good confidence about what you've learned to take into secondary school, right? Um, and so what has manifested over the last few years is this concept of how do you enable that, right? And teachers and schools have, this, have learned that a big influence on that is the parents. So you have the parents and then you have the, 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 the teachers both encouraging the learning. Um, so what they did was they started issuing to the parents a little booklet, which is called the reading audit. I don't know what it's called. It's got a name, but it's a reading um, a notebook. And in that notebook, um, for every day of the week, the parent has to actually sign in and say what the child read at home, which chapters, which pages, and then any new words they learned, right? So suddenly you have a parent involved in writing in a little book about the reading, so they're encouraging the reading at home, and then the school benefit because the kid is reading at school and at home, right? It's double. And the two big influences are parents and teachers. Right? But the beauty about it is that this little booklet is now a leading indicator for the journey. Because the more the book is filled, the more the kid is reading. The more the kid is reading, the more he's getting benefit. The more getting benefit, the more he will come out strong. Right? So leading indicators come through the journey very well. But that would not have happened if parents and teachers didn't talk about this, about the home environment, about the home behavior, and then how decisions are made. So what you talk about, which is supply chain and digital ecosystems and how people are making decisions. I think there's not enough emphasis and investment into the science of decision-making. People think that, as you said, that you get a dashboard and you start making decisions. The reality is we don't work that way, right? Let's, let's put some image to this, right? Imagine a big hydro dam in China, right? Where billions and zillions of gallons are standing on the other side. And we have one guy in the tower and a big red button. And he's waiting to press that button when the right time is depending on an indicator. It doesn't work that way. There is no big red button. There's a team, right? He, in the dam control tower, is working with a set of people. So the supply chain manager, the very senior or middle manager, or maybe more operational, when they start looking at data, they have to make decisions with other people. They need to look at different lenses, and they need a richer context to make that decision. And the, the, the rather flat BR reporting that we've seen does not cut it. What happens, they put the report down, then they've got to go and talk to people. Then they've got to ask questions. Then they will look at a different lens. And it's that rich context that reflects real decision-making process. And that's where the future is. So I think the future is not another BI tool. It is understanding decision-making at its core and then embracing how they make decisions. There is top-down. There is working with other people. And there's the richer context. Does that make sense? I mean, I know you actually practice it, but does that make sense? As, as an Absolutely. Account? I think what I will sum up, I think you, you gave a fantastic example. And what your the, the schools are trying to do, it's a very nice concept, uh, which uh, I learned recently. It's called how to train your workforce to be a more infinite learners as well as explicit learners. And that's what the school is imparting, that keep on learning. And what you are learning, then it's also your moral obligation to also impart that learning to your peers, okay? Yeah. And because that's the best way to learn more, because you need that feedback loop, you need that validation, you need that skepticism, because that's very, very important. So I think what, what they are imparting in the children's is a very fantastic skill, which I think some of the people who are in my professional network, uh, I, I will call out some of the names like Jason Kranz or Jordan Morrow or Brent Dykes, Laurie Silverman. These are some of the people 
I look at up to them because they all are perceived as the data literacy champions. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, a small professional network. And if you look at their persona, they all have two things in common. They all are infinite learners and they all are explicit learners. And it's not about raising their profile for them. It's more about whatever we are learning, how to impart that knowledge in the network, how to maintain that parity so that this knowledge can trickle down to multiple organizations. And that is the same thing we need to do within our workforce. Mm. And I think you have also raised this point just a multiple times during a one-on-one conversation that what we need is a learning organization, a learning culture. And unless and until we have that learning culture, this whole data literacy problem is not going to be solved. You can bring whatever frameworks you want. I know a lot of market research firms have come up with their own indigenous frameworks, their own pinwheel diagrams, their own hexagons. You know what? Nothing has worked so far. The reason is the real life cannot be plotted in a pinwheel diagram or in a hexagon. People are so much engrossed in their day-to-day operational challenges, meeting those weekly, quarterly, monthly goals that they sometimes forget the most important part is learning that what can we learn from that? So you asked me about that radical changes. There are three things that I have in my mind that if I have to really expedite the later literacy in any organization, I want to create a culture of experimentations. I think we have forgotten during our school ah. days, we used to do a lot of experiments. Now you're talking. Now okay? you're talking. Be- because exactly. we don't do experiments. Yeah. I-, I would like, we need to take all the mid-management layer, all those operational managers, forget about the bottom of the pyramid, forget about the top executives. We need that middle layer because that's where a big chunk of your workforce is. Your operational managers, your people who are your directors, senior directors, your managers, assistant managers, just take those individuals, okay? And roll it up to maybe a chief data literacy officer. Mm. And what these people need to be accountable for every month how many experiments you have run in your respective departments, what you learned from those experiments, irrespective failures or achievement, does it matter? It's an experiment. You are validating a hypothesis. So we need that experimentation culture because that will also challenge them also that what new we are bringing on the table. Are we just focusing on my departmental goal or I'm talking about bringing innovation in my respective team? Because if you as an operational manager, your KRA is has an experiment built in it, then your workforce underneath you will also have the spirit of doing experiments. So I think that's the one thing. I want to hear your perspective on that. I, I totally agree. Um, my, my thoughts are around sprints, innovation sprints, where we encourage it again at the level that you talked about. And these sprints, you know, can start on the Monday and finish on the Friday. Uh, you need to have some accountability. So typically you design something on the Friday where you're testing whatever you experimented with, with an audience. Could be internal audience, could be a customer, could be a prospect. But the reality is that that experimentation or that innovation design and then you know, moving it at pace to then test it and validate it is not often seen in companies. We see that in startups where they're trying to find their way, they're trying to validate product market fit, they're trying to validate go-to-market planning. We see it in a lot of technology companies out in, um, you know, Silicon Valley or other parts of the world. But in your day-to-day medium to large enterprises, there's pockets of it. And in those pockets, there's a lot of passion, there's a lot of learning, and they've gone way past, you know, your basic uh, KPIs. Whereas the rest of the organization, they have not embraced that relationship between moving the business forward, learning, and how data helps, right? And that's, and that's what, you know, that's what we're talking about. But I'll give you another dimension, which is a shock to the system. So, you know, data literacy today is in a place 
in this particular enterprise and we need to move it forward. We can take the gradual route. We can look for some accelerators, like I said, some collaboration between two or three teams. We put data in the middle and we say, right, how are we gonna work better together? We've got a month to sort this out and then move forward. And then suddenly they're not being given a dashboard, they've been given a collaboration exercise that has data in the middle of it, which is a different way. And then the other one is a shock to the system, right? Um, I came across this example uh, here in the UK recently where um, a friend's sister works in the medical um, field and they work with a with a um, organization that's coordinating a lot of doctors and a lot of hospitals in one county right so we got these counties across the UK and just for one county they're coordinating um, technology and collaboration and and, and innovation right? and they started a project a year ago and that project was a seven-year project for the purpose of connecting all the doctors through one platform all the hospitals through the same platform in order to quickly share learning and be connected right the project had a plan which was a seven-year plan so there was another six years to go they finished the project in the pandemic in two months two months right they connected everybody they 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 connected all the hospitals and the platform is up and now people are exchanging and learning, right? Fantastic. Yeah. Motivation came through the pandemic, right? Because they could no longer rely on the other way of doing it. They had to move, right? So with data literacy, I've seen two, two ways of doing it. Either the senior management team create a reset, and there's a few who will do it. They create a reset. I know some examples at Facebook that are taking place right now. And they say, from now on, we're going to change the way we work. We're going to think differently, and we need to set it. And it's not like top-down mantra. It's more we're resetting, right? Um, and then others is where they bring in external blood, so external views, external people who help them with the articulation of what needs to be. Because as you know, the start point is articulated in a good way, then put a plan together of when and how early adoption starts, and then we go through with the exercising and the, and the execution. But sometimes the articulation is difficult to do internally because it's biased and it's got history and it's got, you know, maybe even agendas and so on. So bringing an external party with a clear sense of, I can see the woods from the trees because I'm, I'm coming in fresh, and experts in this area, so they articulate it and they create a shock to the system because now we're going to move at pace. We're going to create these experiments. We're going to create these initiatives. We're going to create these use cases. We're going to go for them. Here's five cases. Let's go. So the shock to the system with the external does work very well. Um, I've seen that. And things can move in a, within months. We don't need a one-year plan. Especially yes, absolutely. if we're focusing on a couple of you know, smaller, smaller teams. Um, so I think knowing how leading indicators work, knowing how people learn, and knowing how individuals make decisions is at the heart of this. There's a decision-making science and human behavior. Then there's this whole concept of adoption and understanding how it really works. And then there's the, the, the benefit of leading indicators because then you give them something new to the table, right? We know that what motivates people to try different things and adopt certain tools and practices and ideas is if they learn something. There's some additional competency involved, right? So leading, leading indicators has worked well for us. Um, any more uh, on the radical? Thinking, uh, yeah. I know you're involved in a few projects. Uh, yeah. Some of them are in the US, some of them are global. Anything that's popping up from that? I think, I think the thing, the radical thinking I would like to bring on the table is that we need to completely decentralize our analytics functions. I think I still see a more than 75 to 80% of the organizations still 
embrace the idea of centralized data and analytics function. We yeah. need to just completely dismantle it. We need to just spread out all these analysts and data scientists in each and every individual business function mm. and make them your frontline runners. Yeah. That's a very important thing. Make your analysts and your data scientists run on the front line with, within the dis, uh, distribution team, within the supply chain team, within the logistic team, within the marketing team. And you know what the benefit of that would be once your data scientists and analysts will sit along with your analysts, along with your operations managers, they will start empathizing with the world. They will start understanding what are those operational challenges that these people face every day, how the decision making works. Because ultimately from an analyst and data scientist point of view, what you are doing is in your data modeling, you are identifying the causalities and you're doing predictions. In order to understand the causalities, you need to understand the operations. You need to understand what are those factors which influence this metric. And also in order to you predict and forecast also, you need to understand the historical pattern. You need to understand what kind of actions people take when certain damage happen or certain unprecedented activity happen. So it's very important. Let let both the teams have a very fusion with each other. There is a close feedback loop. They are sitting next to each other. They are sharing causalities. They are sharing what are the factors which impacts the predictive indicators. And you know what the best way to do that is build simulations, create smaller simulations, smaller apps, because you see, we all are spending so much time with our habit forming apps. We spend so much time on Facebook. We spend so much time on WhatsApp and we spend so much time on LinkedIn and they all have one thing in common is they are all our habit forming apps. They create yeah. addiction. The moment you post something, you wait for that thing. You wait for that notification. You wait for that like. You wait for that comment. That's how they play with that. The same thing is give all your workforce smaller apps. Okay. Yeah. And those apps have simulations built in it so that whenever some metric goes up and down, they can see, aha, I know which fact, which made that impact. I know which lever I need to pull to do that. You don't need to take a reactive analytics approach after a week, after a month. You know what? Why my inventory fill rate target was not met? Or you know why my logistic provider was not able to meet that particular service level? Because by that time, damage has already happened. So it's very important empower your workforce with smaller simulations, smarter simulations, inbuilt within the app, and keep it handy on the mobile phones. They don't need to log into a dashboard, connect to a portal, make it available on their smartphones so that they are excited to see why it has happened. That's very important. Mm. I feel that 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 topic is a whole new podcast in its own right. (laughs) It's a... It's a very exciting space that is attracting people who are trying to solve problems, people who are trying to solve adoption and data literacy, and people who are trying to solve for speed. You know, what, what you are talking about is, not, is, is, is moving things within days, within hours, and it's also encompassing certain people, so a certain perspective of the analyst, the operational, the management, and it is also dealing with adoption, right? Everything we've learned is make it, you know, in a design that really works. And as you said, apps work. Um, you know, we, we live that world. So it makes a lot of sense. I, I look forward to your next podcast on this because I think people would love to hear about some practical applications. What is that journey when you're going to start building a few? How many teams do you have to involve to actually get to the point where it makes sense? Um, I think the adoption piece is, is probably, you know, probably more predictable even because of the nature of apps and how we live and, and die with apps all day long. So that's, uh, that's very exciting. Um, I think we've covered some good ground today with data literacy. I think it's fair to say that they're not really industry specific. 
right? They're certainly not geography specific. It does come down to human nature. It does come down to putting data in the middle of a engaging and exciting ecosystem. And that's what we're talking about. And not putting it up in some artificial um, dashboard and pie chart that is a bit too standalone, right? And then you add another one. And then you add another one. And then you end up with these massive views of 20 charts. And then you look at people and you say, so are you making decisions? No, I'm still thinking about it. I still need to talk to Sushant about this and I still need to confer with Joseph about this. And that's decision-making. And that's at the heart of a lot of the things that we talked about. So you talked about feedback loops, you talked about instant access to other people, and you also talked about different contexts. It's not just about data. It could be data that's informational, data that's come from a chart, data that's come from a formula, data that's come from market research. That added context gives us that, 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 um, manifestation of an environment where they, people make decisions, right? Uh, so that's that combination. So um, did you have any last thoughts that you want to, to summarize? I've got a few, but I'll let you go first. <laughs> I think the, just the last closing statement I would say is that I think you've already summarized it pretty well. So we need experiments. And there is a very recent uh, uh, video I posted on the, on the YouTube channel, which talked about what are the three skills that you want to impart in your workforce in the coming decade. So I will call those out. I think what we need is we need to create awareness around the macroeconomics concepts. I think we need our workforce to understand how the micro and macroeconomics work because they need to understand the external factors more than the internal factors because we are living in a global economy, very hyper-connected world. External factors make a much bigger impact than the internal. Number two is behavioral science. It has become it's a very old branch of study, but it has become much more important in today's landscape because everything revolves around consumers. So if you don't understand their psychic, their way of operating, how do they make decisions? How would you meet their needs then? And third piece is we are in a very connected world. Logistics is the connecting power that connects all of us. So logistics, behavioral science and macroeconomics. These are the three skills we really need to start inculcating in our workforce if we really want to create the data literacy culture. And of course, experiments is always the underground of that. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, as I said, I think we've uncovered more than one uh, potential topic for more about data literacy and, and future podcasts. Um, in order to sort of add a bit of practical roadmap and implementation to, to the close, to our closing words, I thought of these things to share. Um, I think we do need a view from the top. And the way that that could happen is if data literacy is inspired by the senior executives. So the senior executives inspire data literacy. That means they're on board, they want to see it, and they want to inspire the organization to go that way. I think the day-to-day motivation has to be by the middle management. The day-to-day motivation has to be by the team that are driving uh, medium to long-term results that are dealing with the operation. They have to crack that motivation piece, right? The articulation, I think, should be in combination with external experts. So the articulation of what does data literacy mean in terms of day-to-day? What is that that good mix uh, between experimentation and the, the general output that needs to be produced, whether it's an app or whether it is a, a augmented analytics dashboard. And then lastly, the implementation should be with problem solvers, passionate problem solvers. That's where we get the momentum, right? Thinking that, you know, one size fits all, forget it. That's been tried and the millions behind us where the adoption is low is testimony to that. So inspired from the top, motivated by the middle management and then implemented by passionate problem solvers. That's where the magic happens and they need the air support and they need the guidance from the external articulation as well as the 
the, the support and incentivization by the middleman. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, Absolutely. I think very nicely summarized. Really liked it. Yeah. So we will be back with more podcasts in the near future. Um, thank you for listening to us today. On behalf of Sushant and myself, good luck with all your data-related projects and good luck with your journey on data literacy. And we'll speak to you soon. Yeah. Bye-bye. Take care, guys. Bye.